0: Hello and welcome to Pep Talks. I'm Frank O'Loughlin, Strategic Account Manager for Kerber Business Area Pharma.
1: And I'm Elizabeth Doyle, HR Business Partner for Kerber Business Area Pharma. Our goal for Pep Talks is to have conversations on current topics impacting pharmaceutical manufacturing.
0: And to get to know the people or the experts in the industry.
1: So sit back, relax, or go for a walk with some pep in your step.
0: Welcome to Pep Talks.
1: Hello again, and welcome everyone to this episode of Pep Talks. Hello there. Today is the second part of our series. I'll take Pharma 4.0 for 200, please.
0: Yep. We learned a ton last time from Sam Russum of Granta. Most importantly, how to set goals for smart manufacturing in pharma and reach this phoenix of Pharma 4.0.
1: Yes, Pharma 4.0, the unreachable star. Or is it? Us newbies also gained some valuable buzzword definitions like IoT digital transformation, and plenty of others that I definitely wrote down.
0: They were incredibly helpful. Now for the final piece of the puzzle, we're delighted to have with us today, Michael Lohmeyer. Mike is the VP of Grand Tech's distribution group. Mike has been with Grand Tech for 13 years. He has a BS and MS in mechanical engineering and began his career as a programmer. At Grand Tech, Mike works with numerous pharmaceutical manufacturers, helping them select hardware and peripheral devices to match their MES and automation software needs.
1: One thing Mike always stresses is the importance of understanding all of the client's needs, not just the technology and GMP aspects, but also issues like how operators will interact with the system. Welcome, Mike.
0: Hi, thanks, Frank. Thanks, Elizabeth. It's uh, good to be here. So Mike, we started off with the same question for Sam, and now we'd like to know from you, in pharmaceutical manufacturing, what comes first, the hardware or the software? It's a good question
2: and it probably goes without saying the hardware manufacturers and providers feel they're the most critical piece of the puzzle and the software manufacturers feel the same. and, and obviously you need to have both. The software really needs to be selected first for sure because it will really be reflecting uh, the operations of the manufacturer. It'll be collecting the data and then delivering the decision making information to the operational team that is using it. And so while people are actually physically touching the hardware, they're really interacting with the software.
1: So then how does someone select software?
2: The software really has to have the capabilities to enable the manufacturer to achieve their overall goals. And since goals tend to be broken down into stages or phases, the software really has to be able to start at a level that's reasonably close to where the manufacturer would like to start, but also have the ability to build up to the complete system that the manufacturer would like to have at the end. And I should probably clarify, when I say reasonably close, I think it's well accepted that manufacturers want a commercially available solution not one that's uh, custom built of some kind. And it has to have amount of flexibility built into it. And there is an understanding that there usually has to be some amount of adapting to the software by the manufacturer that has to happen. And most manufacturers really do eventually want a complete system, but many of them really have different priorities for where they want to start first.
0: Like we've learned in the industry that installing a vanilla system really gives you the most cost-effective thought process out there. When we talk about customizations and things along those lines, what do you think makes sense? So knowing what the manufacturer's
2: goals are are most important and knowing where they want to start is really most important. You know, some manufacturers might want to start with their batch records and getting that moved to an electronic master batch record system. Others might want to start with serialization, and that's the, the track and trace functionality in the pharmaceutical world. You know, Wayne Dispense is another common area to start. You know, everyone, every manufacturer might have a different area where they see as the first place to get going.
1: It sounds like there isn't just one correct way to start, but is there one common
2: first step? So the common first step should be getting some consulting from an outside source to understand how to accomplish what you want to accomplish. What you don't want to do is just jump out and buy a package of software and say, let's make this fit. There are some best practices to follow and, and you know, use internally as well. But to go deeper, a manufacturer should really make the investment getting a little bit of good guidance from the outside. And if they have their goals already nailed down, then getting some guidance on specifying the software capabilities needed to do that. And if they don't have their goals nailed down, it would be really, really prudent to go do that first. And also to be successful, one of the critical success factors is you really need to have senior management support and the organizational buy-in. And it's very important for a member of the executive team to be on the implementation team as the executive sponsor. That gives the implementation team
0: visibility to the very top. And that'll be very important as the whole project rolls out. Now, there's a difference between goals and requirements, Mike. What do you think when you're choosing this? You don't really look at, you're not really looking into your requirements all the time. I'm assuming that your goals are this is where we want to take the company. So that's a really good
2: point and a good differentiation to make. Your goals are really organizationally what you want to get done, and you need to lay that out first. You then can move to your requirements because your goals will tell you what your requirements are for the hardware and the software. But looking at the the platform that's going to support the software you've chosen, I would say they're kind of four generalized sets of requirements that, uh, that hardware needs to have. And while I wouldn't call this list like the perfect end-all, be-all, it's really a pretty good generalized list uh, to look at. You know, one would be the hardware platform you're choosing. It has to be completely viable for the software in both the initial phase as you're rolling it out all the way through to the final phase. Another one would be it has to function in the desired IT, OT architecture of the manufacturer. And different companies set things up differently. It's it's something you need to consider as you're doing this. It needs to meet the physical or I should probably say environmental requirements, which are very specific in various areas in a pharmaceutical manufacturing site. And then it really needs to meet what I would call the the peripheral device needs, which is important to the operator. So those are kind of the four areas people should be looking at for the requirements of their hardware.
1: So what does hardware need to have or do to be a viable platform for the software?
2: Uh, and I should have been a little more complete in my wording because while it does need to be a viable tool for the level three or MES platform that's being installed, um, it really needs to be viable for all the software that's going to be uh, running in the area where you're operating. Very often, when someone is putting in their their level four, or their Pharma 4.0, you know, digital journey software, that platform is going to be running other things in the same physical area and for the same operator, such as uh, HMI software, which gives the operator visibility into the actual process. So you'd want to make sure you got a platform that enables the operator to do what they need to do, which might be looking at one screen to understand procedurally what's going on, and that would be their MES platform, but have another screen, uh, most likely for their HMI software, so they can look into the process that's being run. But in addition to that, you really need to consider kind of the overall architecture and structure, Uh, zero footprint clients, thin clients, fat clients, your servers, the switches you're choosing, the switch architecture you're setting up. Are you PXE booting or Pixie booting as it's called? It's another whole set of things to consider and it kind of gets into the whole next set of requirements.
1: Okay. Layman's terms here. Can you paint me a picture on how this could go wrong?
2: Yeah, here's a, here's a great example, and uh, we'll we'll leave out the names to protect the innocent and the guilty, whichever you want to call <laughs> them. But this is a case of people buying things a bit siloed, and while all the components were correct, how it was architected was not correct. But it was a, a, an architecture where they planned to uh, pixie boot some clients, and in the entire architecture of multiple layers of switches and back to uh, you know the servers, you know DHCP or the pixie server. In the midst of all this, there was a uh, you know lowest level switch, edge switch, if you will, where some of the ports weren't properly set up. And while there's a very long explanation, I think it would fall into the too long, didn't read category, by improperly setting up some of the ports on the switches, it caused a bit of latency in the system. And when DHCP packets were supposed to be going back and forth between servers and clients, things weren't happening fast enough and the units just simply didn't boot. And what was really a relatively simple problem to diagnose became a bit more complicated because all the stakeholders in this whole system really hadn't been communicating. And once that was done, settings were done, everybody understood what everybody else's pieces of the puzzle was supposed to be doing, and then everything was working. But it's just one of those cases where buying hardware isn't your your only consideration. You need to understand the architecture uh, that the company has set up
0: because that impacts how everything runs. Is that the lack of a system design spec or a design spec, you know, that people needed to build to understand what was going to go on?
2: It's, uh, I think it's probably just a very typical organizational behavior that people have, you know, multiple departments, there's so many things to be done. And there are times when, you know, one person might not talk to the other person, but making decisions like this, someone may look at it and go, well, I need a client. Well, I need to server. Well, I need to switch. Well, yeah, in one perspective, they're all relatively simple devices, but how they all get set up is important. So all the groups specifying and buying need to be working together and discussing the overall architecture of the company and what the standards are and how they set it up. Because whether it's a thin client, thin fat client, you know zero footprint, pixie boot, you know virtualizing applications, wired or wireless, you know devices, what brand a thin client software you're using, you know, their overall switch architecture, which is, you know, well over my head, all these stakeholders need to get together and discuss it because one little piece, one little setting on one device, not properly set up to reflect what the other people are doing in their area of the architecture can cause a hiccup. And sometimes it's a little hard to find that needle in a haystack. But the answer to it really is all the stakeholders need to talk and all these considerations have to be discussed. So it, it can get pretty complicated pretty fast. Well, complicated, that's probably not the right word, but things have to be done very specifically. That would be the better way to say it.
0: It can become very convoluted very fast. <laughs> and we—and I think in projects, what we found, and, and I know you've had this happen to yourself, and I know Elizabeth's have, have, had this happen, is that 95% of the problems we run into are due to lack of communication. Oh, absolutely.
2: One of the groups that doesn't get brought in often enough when looking at IT OT hardware would be the quality group. And while someone is specifying CPUs and RAM and SSDs and Pixie booting and thin client software, we're probably not thinking of cleaning protocols that the quality teams put together. But back to one of my other areas of of consideration is meeting the environmental ratings of an area. So a clean room a primary packaging area, these GXP, GMP rated areas, the devices that go in there have to meet some very harsh environmental standards. Like they have to be able to be washed down with you know either very high or very low pH solutions, highly caustic, highly acidic. A spork lens is a common agent that gets used and in its undiluted form has a pH of less than two. I'm wiping things down with uh, IPA, isopropyl alcohol or water afterwards. Most of us aren't, pouring acid and alcohol and water on our home computers, which is why they don't belong in a clean room. But there's another aspect of it, not just the ability to withstand a chemical, which is the surface of the device itself, typically a stainless steel, and it needs to be smooth. And while that may sound funny, cross-contamination can happen when particulate matter is entrapped in the surface and it's very difficult to clean and, and it stays in a place it shouldn't be. And this kind of goes over to a rating called IP, the ingress protection rating, IP65 being a common one. Ingress protection means just what it says, you know, ingress is stuff sneaking in and protection is protecting it from that. The two numbers that follow, one is for liquid, one is for solid. And while that's important to not have foreign material getting inside your electronic device, which is good for the life of the device, obviously, that's not important for the cross contamination so much as the surface of the device and the ability to wipe it and clean it and get into all of the little nooks and crannies to make sure you're not carrying over material from one run to the next run. So back to your point about communication, getting all the teams together, ask your quality team, discuss those cleaning protocols. It's important for computing devices as well as other devices
0: in the clean room. Let me ask you a question. Space on the floor is a premium. And I always hated the giant boxes that were out there because it took up areas that we could have used for something else. So how do we streamline or what are the new things that are out there to be able to help make it easier to use that floor space for more, how should I say it, more ergonomic is probably the best way to put it, as compared to the giant stainless steel boxes that are out there. What are your thoughts on that one?
2: So that—that that is a really good question. And I've been in many of these areas Some of them are very, very small. And, you know, just even walking around, there just isn't a lot of space for movement. So having a gigantic box to hold a screen or very large, kind of the old fashioned cumbersome keyboards, there just isn't room for it. And people, manufacturers also might want to have one screen available for two people just to, again, reduce the amount of just physical things in this room. So, Having a large screen at times is very important depending on the amount of display you need for your operator. Sometimes a smaller one is you know, acceptable as well. But being able to have a large screen but not have it be a, a, a big clunky device is very important. Just like we got rid of the gigantic TVs in our homes to a flat screen you can hang on the wall. And then being able to move it around because an operator may move a bit. So you may want this thing to pivot or swing a little bit from left to right. And also when space really gets tight, you know, Frank, it could be very well that you're working to my right and you want to swing it over and do your work for a while. Then I swing it over to me and I do it for a while. And that way you and I are sharing one screen. And that again, reduces the amount of of stuff that has to go in one of these rooms. It's very, very important.
1: So let's move on to the last topic. Hardware needs to support the, you called it peripheral device needs.
2: Yeah. So this is really, it's a very straightforward topic. It's It's not like people who want to debate. Do I need an i5 CPU or an i7 CPU or how many gig of RAM and all that? But this is really thinking about the person, the operator who is interacting with this device and accomplishing their tasks. Very often, they will need a barcode scanner to, to scan you know, what material they're accessing. And some people just want a simple hook to hang that scanner on. They will take scanners off to a separate room to re, be recharged over different shifts. Some people want a scanner to have its recharging cradle right there in the room. So either of those can be done. But you have to account for all of that. There are printers that are needed for printing labels. There are scales for weighing out small amounts of material. If you're doing manual ads or hand ads, whatever terminology someone might uh, want to use. But all of these are part of your your ITOT infrastructure. And it really comes down to having all the I.O. or input-output, as it's called, needs
0: for the operator and all the devices they have to have. From a peripheral standpoint, do you always recommend, hey, let's buy the same scanner, the same keyboard, the same? So that way, whoever it is can buy in bulk. And if there's multiple suites, it's an easy swap between suites if something fails. Oh, man,
2: that is that is completely true. And for even more reasons, all the reasons you stated Plus, you don't have operator training. I go from suite one to suite 12. I see the same scanning device. I know exactly what to do. In terms of maintaining your spares inventory, if you're using 40 of the same scanners, you can have two or three spares there and you're covered. And the other reasons you stated. So that absolutely makes a lot of sense. And, and we ask the the uh, manufacturers we work with, what are their standards? It's It's important to stay within that.
1: So what about portability? Everyone's talking about tablets, different things that can be used on the floor in various ways. What do you think about that?
2: So portability, mobile devices, that's the big topic of conversation. And I hope I I did already mention working with your quality team because GMP or GXP rated environments are not BYOD, bring your own device environments. Portable devices are the ones I see, uh, our company sees, is the most likely to be selected incorrectly. People hear ruggedized, which is great for its purpose, and they think, okay, this is good for my clean room or my primary packaging area. And your quality team, if you talk to them, their cleaning protocols will probably look at that ruggedized plastic housing with all its nooks and crannies and tell you it's nearly impossible to get that cleaned. So yes, there are mobile devices. There are lots of ways to do it from the simplest little tablet PC up to a 27-inch screen that can be on wheels with batteries. So it has DC power and doesn't need to be plugged in and has wireless network, you know, connectivity. But really talk to your quality team, talk about their cleaning protocols. You know, if you think about a mobile device, it's moving from place to place. If there was ever a candidate for creating cross-contamination, it's a device that's
0: moving from place to place and it needs to be cleaned. Elizabeth talked about. The portability concepts, what about usability? You know, we want to make it as simple and easy on the floor as possible. In some cases, tablets and I'll say, you know, iPads make it really easy for an operator to interact with SOPs anything along those lines. What are your thoughts about that? So usability is a a great
2: topic. It also has to do with the, the operators buying in and acceptance. So that's really, really very important. It's also a little harder to find. Versus saying I need USB 3.0 versus 2.0 or power over Ethernet. So really you kind of have to look at this from the perspective of the operator. And do I have the right size screen for the amount of data that's going to be displayed? Do I have the right input device for the amount of data the operator's putting in? Can we move the screen around if the operator is over here now and, you know, 10 feet over here later, can we accommodate that and not have somebody walking back and forth constantly? We can avoid that. And. Again, getting to the tighter spaces, Frank, that you mentioned earlier, is it possible to have one screen for two people so they can, you know, be sharing it, moving it around and maybe by adding a little bit of mobility to that big screen, um, you allow two people to use it so you can have one of them rather than two. And then there are multiple keyboard options as well. But overall, this is an area where the operator inputs are very important and you may want to make sure that whatever you're selecting, the options are there to accommodate what the operator needs. How do you stay away
0: from the shiny things? you know, 4.0 means different things to different people. And what I mean by that is maybe Google Glass or something along those lines. Are there good ways and bad ways to choose these particular things? There are, and
2: it it is hard not to uh, chase shiny objects because we all love them and they're fun to play with and it's fun to learn something new.
1: I tell my toddler the same thing. (laughs) Don't go after the shiny things.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But it it goes back to what Sam said in the, the earlier podcast, which is, you really need to start with a plan and know what it is you want to do. Because if you start by buying technology, before you understand your goals and objectives, things are going to get, you're going to get the cart before the horse. Because we we see people who are working completely manual paper SOPs, and they want to go to Google Glasses and the highest level of technology. And you want to tell them, how about a tablet? I mean, I realize it's it's only halfway to Nirvana, but it, it's a far cry from where you are. And, and having this plan in place in advance and knowing where you're trying to get to is probably the most important thing.
0: And I think it keeps us from having a drawer full of $800 things that nobody uses. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. But
2: it, it isn't to say that off to the side somewhere out of your you know, revenue generating operations, you might not test a new piece of technology. Just understand that over here off to the side, we're, we're testing a new piece of technology and it's a good thing for everyone to do, but where the operator's functioning and, and making product and driving revenue for the corporation, you want to make sure you built this into the plan.
0: And that's what proof of concepts are all about. Absolutely.
1: Well, I definitely think we've only scratched the surface on this topic, but unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. We'd like to thank Mike Lohmeyer for stopping by to talk to us. Mike, any closing thoughts?
2: Yeah, I guess the one thing I would say is remember, nobody has to implement everything all at once. Nobody can implement everything all at once. I mean, it's called a journey for a very good reason. What's really important is get your overall plan, identify the right place to start, choose some hardware and software that can hit your your, your initial task, but accomplish the whole goal and get a win under your belt. Once you get a win under your belt, you know, the buy-in in the organization grows, you get the next win under your belt, and then you're just on your way and 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 then the journey happens.
0: And if you get a bunch of little wins, it adds up to a big win. Everybody yes, feels better. Yes, it does. Well said, Mike. We want to thank you for virtually stopping by today. It's been a great two-part series. I think we learned a lot about software and hardware choices in the manufacturing environment. Well, thanks for having me. This has actually been a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it.
1: I'll chat with you next time on Pet Talks.